down as possible and really engage, but help me pray right now for this. So, Lord, we come into agreement tonight over tonight, but also the, the whole series that we're going to be dealing with. And, Lord, this is a, a very pastoral series, and as I'm dealing with this, I want to be very practical. But, Lord, I ask you as I preach this, Lord, that by the precious presence and power of the Holy Spirit, your glory, Lord, that everyone will be able to really lock in to give you their best during their full attention, their focus, that the Holy Spirit will enable us to have hearts and minds that are in tune with you and to have eyes and ears of the Spirit, that our eyes and our ears would be anointed and be able to see and hear and perceive everything that you're trying to convey to us. And our minds won't be distracted with all these other things, but they'll be able to tune in. And Lord, help us just to be good, fertile soil. And that this, as you speak to me, be living seeds of truth sown out in a good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Watered by the Spirit of God, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, that there be the washing of the water of the Word of God, the light of truth shining into every life, dispelling all darkness and deception of the enemy, and bring life and light and truth and revelation. Lord, let it come. We thank you for it. I feel that tonight. Lord, let your light shine and dispel all the darkness, all the lies of the enemy, and bring truth and revelation in Jesus' name. Or as I'm starting this series, I really want people to be able to get a lot out of this series. It's really important to me. I'm very comfortable on this subject that I'm going to be dealing with. I, I honestly probably wouldn't even need that many notes in a lot of these because this is something I've just known about for so many years. And, but as I'm dealing with this, this series could be something that will radically transform your life if you allow it to. Okay. And how many knows when the presence of the Lord, the glory, begins to invade your life, your life is going to be different, okay? And so as I'm dealing with this tonight, the first thing I want to talk about is that God has made us a living tabernacle or a living temple. The tabernacle and the temple are synonymous. It really doesn't matter. I like to use the word tabernacle because it gets people to think about Moses' tabernacle. But God has made us a living tabernacle for his presence. The whole message of the tabernacle was a place where God would deposit his presence so that once again he could be among men. That was the whole point. I've said this a lot, but it needs to be said and it needs to be understood. The Lord loves us and wants to spend time with us a lot more than what a lot of people realize. The reason God created mankind was for fellowship. And when he created Adam and Eve, it was for the purpose of him being able to have a family and be able to come down and walk with them in the cool of the day and spend time with them. That's what he wanted. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. He wanted that family to expand. But we know the story that sin came in and all that got messed up. But right after sin came in, God began to look and he prophesied to Eve, I will, the serpent... I will send um, a redeemer, basically. I'll send um, through your seed one that the serpent will strike his heel, but you'll crush his head, speaking of Christ. And right there, God the Father began to lay out a plan to fix all this. And so God's heart, even after they sinned, was, all right, how can we fix this and get it back to the original plan? Where I can have a family. 
Because he has plenty of angels and all of that, but you're dealing more in the realm of like servants, maids, butlers, things like that. He wants a family. And so what I'm trying to get at is, is that God got Abraham and then through that created the nation of Israel, through that brought the Messiah, all of that so that now we can be a living tabernacle. And we can walk in God's presence. And we can spend time with him. And so keep that in mind. This will be a little bit different sermon tonight, but I'm hoping that you'll hear my heart about it. But here's something that's really important. So with the tabernacle, the goal of the tabernacle was to be in the the presence of God. So you had to get from the outer court to the holy place and then from the holy place to the holy of holies. So it was a journey into the glory. Which, of course, the Holy of Holies is is a representation of God's throne where His glory was. The Ark of the Covenant is like the seat of the throne, the cherubim that encircled His throne. It was a picture of God's throne and the glory. And so it's people being able to come into God's presence. So if we're a living tabernacle, which we are, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, here's what we need to understand. If you're wanting to be in God's presence and walk with God, And there's that hunger in you to do that. The first thing you're going to have to learn is you're going to have to learn how to die to the flesh. Because your flesh does not care about spending time with God. Your flesh cares. First off, the sinful nature is in the flesh. And the flesh is very selfish. The flesh just wants, you know, to eat and to sleep and, and whatever is comfort. But there has to be a crucifixion of that flesh. That is where you begin to leave the outer court behind. And so once you start doing this as a lifestyle, it becomes more habitual. It's interesting because the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. Remember, and then he was gone. But in the Amplified Bible, it says that he habitually walked with God. It became a habit, habitually being a habit, something that he just did. And it became such a lifestyle to him that it was just something when he woke up, it was just going to be his day, he was going to walk with God. And I believe that we can develop that mentality. Are y'all following me? I hope this really, more than anything else, I hope there's a hunger stirred up in people and that people have faith about this when you leave tonight, that there's a faith in you. But see, the Bible says if you're a secret place dweller, that you can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So that means continually abide, that you should be able to go throughout your day in the presence of the Lord. It may not necessarily feel on the level it is at church or anything, but there's this, there's this um, consciousness of God in you walking together, even if you're at work and when you're in your vehicle. And, uh, you know, at home, there should be a glory in your home. You know, when you come here to the church, there's such a glory in this church, but when you come here during the week and nobody's here or whatever, you... The presence of God is here. The glory is here all the time. But there's a subtle, it's a subtle thing. And you come in and it, it, people would probably describe it more as what's well, peaceful in here. But whenever you begin to worship and pray, that glory that's already resident here begins to amplify. And you can really feel the glory intensely when you begin to worship and pray. And that's the way it is um, at my wife and I's house. I mean, there's this peace 
there's a presence of the Lord always there. But whenever we start praying and worshiping, it's like it amplifies. You can really feel that intensity. And so God is wanting there to be this brooding sense of his presence. All right, so the first thing is we have to learn to die to the flesh. That means that you're going to practically, is it okay that I'd be extremely practical in this sermon? I mean, it's going to be really practical. This whole series is, is that you're going to have to set your alarm clock just to simply get your hiney out of bed when you don't want to. All right, amen? Your flesh is saying, go back to sleep. No, flesh, you're going to die right now. I'm getting up out of this bed. I'm going to spend time with God, and I don't care what you have to say. And once you do that and you begin to pray, that flesh will be brought under subjection. But the more you give in to your flesh all the time, that becomes a habit. But the more you die to your flesh daily, Paul said, I die daily, you die daily to that flesh, the more that becomes a habit. And you just automatically know, I'm going to get up and spend time with God today. And I am going to put my flesh under. I'm not going to give in to the desires of the flesh today. I'm going to obey God. You know, if your eyes begin to wander onto something it's not supposed to, you say, no, eyes, you're going to go this way. You see what I'm saying? Your flesh is under your authority that I'm not going to live according to the flesh. I'm going to die to this. My flesh is going to be obedient to the Spirit of God in me, bottom line. And I'm showing you something. Secondly, we've got to learn to renew our minds. And I would add to that the emotions. Because your mind and your emotions is the battleground. And we've got to learn to bring our thoughts captive. And we've got to learn to harness our emotions where they're not going to get out of control. Some people are really happy one day and then I mean a dark place the next. you know, And they're just really up and down emotionally. And they haven't even discerned yet, y'all hear me, they haven't even discerned yet the difference between their emotions and the Spirit of God. Because God the Holy Spirit doesn't feel sorry for everybody. But these people, a lot of times, they have unsanctified human compassion and they're led by their emotions instead of being led by the Spirit of God. And you have to learn that your emotions are going to stay under the authority of the Holy Spirit and they're not going to be up and down, in and out, and all over the place. They're not going to be blowing up in a rage this minute and then over here this minute they're in a deep, dark depression. Then they're ecstatic, happy the next minute and they're just all over the place that your emotions begin to be harnessed. But also that your mind is renewed. I know I've taught, taught a lot on this. But you've got to get your mind focused to where not every thought that's going through your mind needs to be entertained. So when thoughts come into your mind, these are the fiery darts of the enemy, or it could be your own mind, whatever. Thoughts come that shouldn't be there, that you renew them. And if it's persistent, you feel like something is trying to put thoughts into your mind, that you rebuke them. In Jesus' name, I bind that spirit that's trying to cause me to get angry, with my coworker today and focus on their faults being practical and I command that to go in Jesus name I'm not going to put up with it and you don't focus on that but that's that's something that can be going on so when you come into prayer this is spiritual maturity that our bodies begin you bring them under subjection that they're going to be submitted to what God wants you to do they're not going to rule your life your mind begins to be disciplined. 
See, a strong soul is a disciplined soul, a disciplined mind, disciplined emotions. And so when you come into prayer, because I'm talking about being a living tabernacle, first you're going to die to the flesh, but you'll find as you begin to worship and pray, and you begin to try to spend time with the Lord, you'll find that your mind is wanting to be distracted by so many other things. And so you've got to learn to discipline your mind to get focused on the Lord. And be patient with yourself because it's human nature and it's normal that minds will tend to wander. That's not that you have some major character flaw. Okay, everybody deals with that. But begin to learn to discipline that mind and say that can wait till later. I'm going to focus on this right now. And as you do that, you're going toward the Holy of Holies. I'm trying to show you. You're going beyond the outer court of your flesh. And now you've moved into the holy place where your mind and your emotions are getting focused on the Lord. You're worshiping Him. You're praying. You're spending time with Him. Your mind's getting focused. And now as that happens, you're in the holy place. But yet deeper, God's wanting you to go into the holy of holies where your spirit now and the spirit of God are communing. Is everybody hear what I'm saying? So you've got to get beyond your flesh, beyond even your own human soul area, where that is now under the alignment of what God is doing, but now it's your spirit, man. Your inner spirit is now awakened and alive and, and, and on fire for God. You remember the scriptures that talk about stir up what's in you? All right. That has to do with a campfire that's died down. And the coals that are there, it's like they've died down. And you take some kind of a poker and you begin to stir those coals. Okay? And as those coals die down and they start cooling off and you begin to stir those coals and breathe on them, they burst back into flame. So what I'm trying to get at is you get beyond your flesh, beyond your own human soul... To where now your inner man, your spirit, is communing with the Spirit of God. And that right there is in the Holy of Holies. And God begins to stir up that fire that's in your inner being, in your spirit. It's a stirring up. And um, what's in you through the laying on of hands begins to emerge. Are you all hearing me? And you begin to get in tune with the Lord. That's why you get things like pray without ceasing. Because you can't go around all day in the flesh and your flesh pray without ceasing. And you can't go all day with your mind focused 100% on the Lord because you've got to work. And so what it is is that your spirit now has come alive, so to speak. There's a burning fire within you and you've spent time spirit to spirit with God. And it's the inner man that is communing with the spirit of God. And as you go throughout your day, your inner man is in tune with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit may nudge you. Why don't you pray for this person? Why don't you witness to this person? As you're driving to work, you find that, that your inner man, you begin to just pray quietly to yourself in the Spirit. You're praying in tongues. Why? Because your inner man is tuned into the Holy Spirit. And there's a communion there, Spirit to Spirit. Is this making sense? So as you go throughout your day, God is wanting us to become a living tabernacle where we've moved now 
to deep calling unto deep, spirit to spirit. And the more that you do this, the more it will become a lifestyle, like in the book of Genesis when it talked about Enoch. It became habitual to him. It was a normal thing. And that's why the intercessors, as we come in together, and, and everybody's in the flesh, I always kind of, my least favorite time is having to tell people spiritual things when you first come in. Because I know that everybody's come in, and we're all somewhat in the flesh. Amen. But as we begin to take the Lord's Supper, and then we go into worship, all of a sudden, people begin to die to that flesh. And their minds start wondering a little bit, I'm thirsty, you know, it's hot in here, it's cold in here, whatever, your minds are wondering, okay. But then you begin to say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to focus on the Lord. And pretty soon, now you've got even past your own mind, that soul area, and now you're in the Spirit of God. You're in the Spirit, where your Spirit is, is communing with the Holy Spirit, is what I mean. And there's this deep calling unto deep, and now your worship is no longer just out of the head, but your, your worship is really coming out of the deep place within you. And it's spirit to spirit. It's deep calling unto deep. It's your inner man crying out to the Lord in worship and prayer. And that's why the intercessors are able to get sometimes under that and begin to pray. Because that is not something you can manufacture or make happen. You cannot do that. It has to be the Spirit of God. If somebody says, well, I, you know, you can just emotionally just do that. Okay, well, I challenge you to do it consistently for 10 minutes and then tell me you can't do that in the flesh you'll sit there and start trying to groan and travail and you're like i can't do this it's something that only the spirit of god can do where deep is calling into deep and there's this groan and travail as the spirit of god is doing that through you is this helping anybody tonight and so in a practical sense if people will hear me and people will apply this to their lives i'm telling you that you can have a deep, rich prayer life, but you're going to have to get beyond the flesh. And you're even going to have to get beyond just the soul area. Because I know some people, their prayer life consists of them sitting down and just reading the Bible, which is fine because the Word of God's important. But you're still in the realm of just your human soul. And you're just feeding kind of that. I mean, it does feed your spirit some. But you need to learn how to get into the presence of God and how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And in that place, then read the Word. Because the Word is going to really be alive. And so, this is the living tabernacle, the walking with God, communing with the Holy Spirit, deep calling unto deep. And what concerns me is, as a pastor, is I know that a lot of times I'll preach and preach and preach and preach about these sort of things but I don't know if people actually apply it I don't know if people actually live it do people go home and actually pray do people go home and actually have a prayer life or are they just depending on what pastor will pray there's only so far that will go for you and so I'm asking this question just trying to help people that God wants his presence to begin to invade our lives. And let me tell you that in these latter days, as I mentioned during the worship time, the Bible says in Isaiah 60, 61, it talks about these things. It says that there would be thick, gross darkness upon the earth. And we're coming into days where because of things like the increase of the occult that you see in movies and you see 
in, in every realm of society, you see more and more witchcraft in the occult, okay? You also see more and more sexual perversions. And I believe that this is a sign, because Jesus said before the coming of the Son of Man, it would be like it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. The days of Noah was the Nephilim, which you're dealing with a lot of the occult there. You have to. And then you're dealing with the sexual perversions of Sodom. And so we're seeing this unfold. It's just a sign of the times. But what's happening is, as people are doing this, and there's more and more murder of babies and blood being shed on the earth, and all this stuff that's going on through terrorism, all of the innocent blood being shed, the occult, the sexual perversions, all this being rampant in the earth, darkness is increasing. There's thick darkness. But the Lord is wanting His glory to be upon His people. He's wanting you, even though you may be at the store and it feels like thick darkness, that you can go home and there's a peace and a glory in your house. It's a place that's easy to pray. Man, I hope this is hitting tonight, the place it needs to hit. Alright, so we're just passing through this life. Let me give you a few scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith he lived as an alien in the, in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac um, and Jacob, fellow heirs in the same promise. For he was looking for the city which foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham understood that he was going to live like he was just passing through that land. Listen, I hope that sometimes we read these scriptures, we talk about these things, and I don't know that people really think about it and let it really sink in. Do you really understand? Let me use it this way. Let's say that me as an American citizen was to go to Canada for some time. Even though I may speak the language and I may look like the other people there, I'm still not a resident there. I can't stay there long term. They will kick me out, right? So I'm there just passing through. I'm a foreigner in that land. That's not my home. I don't belong there really. I'm just visiting. And the message that God is trying to say to all of us, I remember it just echoes in my mind. When Steve Hill was prophesying at Brownsville, said, don't let your feet sink too deep down into the soil of this earth. Keep your head up and your feet moving. God will return for a pilgrim people. See, we're just, we're just passing temporarily through this land. And people don't realize it, but they do this so much. And it's so rampant and really bad in America because of the prosperity. They get way too caught up with this life. They get way too caught up with the temporal. We're only here for a short time. You understand in light of eternity that your life is this, gone. In light of eternity, we're only here like a breath and then you're gone. Make your life count. But my point is, is don't live and put everything into the here and now. Abraham understood, I'm just a foreigner passing through. And, he, and it says here in Hebrews, he was looking for a city whose builder was God. He was looking for that coming new Jerusalem that will come upon the earth. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers... 
to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. And Peter was saying that you're aliens and you're strangers in this world. You don't fit in. You're not supposed to fit in. You're just passing through. What I'm trying to get at is if we will get a different mentality, God help us in America. It's going to take revival for people to even understand what I'm talking about. It really will. It'll take being in the presence of God to really understand this because people leave out and they're so focused on their life, they're making money in the things of, of this world. And they don't realize that it all could be gone tomorrow. If you ever have an experience, I went through a difficult time. At one time, I didn't know physically, um, you know, how much, anyway, I don't like to talk about it, but I went through a dangerous time. But I'm going to tell you, if, if you ever have to stop and think about life and death and how short your life is, it changes your perspective. And so God is wanting us to begin to have more of a heavenly mentality. What would you live like today if you really knew for sure you were going to be dead tomorrow? You would think, well, you know, I want to make sure things are right with God, obviously, but you would want to spend time with the Lord. You would want to spend time with your family, maybe do something productive for the Lord, like witness to somebody, wouldn't you? If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, how would you live today? All of a sudden, your precious investments wouldn't really matter as much. All of a sudden, your 401k is like, well, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, all the things that you were so focused on, you just had to have, you just had to be caught up with, it was such a big deal, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, it really doesn't matter in a lot of eternity, does it? People expend their lives hours and hours and hours every day doing things that will not matter in eternity. In John 6, 31, Jesus said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven, who gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will not thirst. And I'm going to skip several things because they got mad at Jesus, okay? Let's go to verse 53. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And we know that's a reference to the communion table, don't we? So the children of Israel had manna that came down. I'm about to show you something with this. Numbers 11, verse 1. Now the people became like those who complained. You remember the children of Israel were leaving. Um, okay, here's how it happened. They left at the Passover. They left and they went through the Red Sea. They came to Sinai. This was about approximately 50 days later because it's celebrated at Pentecost time, Shavuot, okay? They came there, they got the law, and they began to set up all that was learned, the tabernacle. They had to build it. They had to put it all together. And so this all went on for about a year that they were doing all of this. But when it came time for the children of Israel to leave that and now to take the land, you're dealing with days, a couple days. You understand days. Everybody say days. 
Not weeks and months, days they could have been in the promised land. But as they begin to move now to go toward the promised land, here's what happened. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the rabble, these are the troublemakers, okay, who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. They're complaining about the manna. Heaven food. This did not put a smile on God's face, my friend. He gave them manna from heaven and they despised it. Alright, look, verse 19, I'm skipping down a little bit. God's response to Moses cried out to him. Moses, you know, dealing with as a pastor of all these type people. He said, God, what have you done to me? I did not bear all these children. Why have you put this burden on me? And God said, you know, to take 70 others and he'd give the spirit of God to them and help him all that. But listen, God's response about meat, they're crying out for meat to eat. In verse 19... God said, you shall eat this meat, okay? Not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten, not twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. Then it will be loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But it's an interesting phrase, and I highlight it in the notes saying, you've rejected the Lord. It seemed like they rejected the manna, so why did God say you've rejected the Lord? All right, I'm going to show you some things real quickly about this. I'm going to tie this all together. I'm talking about us being a living tabernacle. I'm talking about our lives being a dwelling place for God. And I'm talking about us having more of an eternal mindset. That we're not so caught up with the here and the now. All right, so let me show you a couple things and I'll bring it to a close. But if you want the glory of the Lord in your life and in your home, I really believe these two things will increase the glory dramatically. And the first one has to do with the blood. The blood of Jesus. The communion table, the the blood that's represented in the communion table in your home, but also applying the blood to your home the blood to your land. And while I'm going through this series, if it's okay with you guys, I'll be really practical about this. I may do a sermon on really cleansing your home and what that means. I may go through that. I may even do a, a sermon where we just do, um, I walk you through like a personal prayer life time. We just, that's the sermon, okay? If you guys want to do that, just kind of help people learn how to pray more practically. But, In this, the two things I believe will help bring the glory of the Lord in your home in an awesome way. Number one is the blood. And number two is speaking blessings. Speaking blessings. 
So let me show you how this manna. So the manna of the Old Testament is basically similar in type to the communion table of today. I think we all can see that. Jesus even said that. I am the manna. Okay. And then he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. So he connected the communion table with the manna. Okay. So one of the things that's really interesting when you read some of the Jewish writings and Jewish commentaries about this is that the manna tested the people. Now, I want everybody to look this way and hear me. We want the Lord's glory and presence in our lives, but you have to understand that the Lord is going to test you some. And that's not a bad thing. The Bible talks about being gold refined in the fire. God is just simply wanting things to come up that he can deal with so that we can go deeper in him, okay? If you start bringing the communion table into your home and into your church, I'm telling you, it will stir up the stuff that needs to get stirred up in a good way. So let me tell you what some of the Jewish commentaries talk about the manna that came down. All right. It said that the manna really tested the people. Because let's say, for example, you had a man that owned a slave or something like that. And then another man came to Moses and said, Moses, he stole that slave from me. He belo- that slave belongs at my tent. He stole him from me. Well, the next day when the manna fell, if the manna for the slave fell at that man's house, then God said, nope. And it proved that other man a liar. You see what I'm saying? If there was a man that said, Moses, I believe that that my wife committed adultery. She went over here and, and slept with this man, did this. And the next day, if the manna for that wife came to that house, then God would say, no, she's innocent. Is everybody seeing what I'm saying? It was even in the Jewish writings that the manna was heaven food to the degree that people that were really righteous, people of faith, that the manna was really delightsome to them. It tasted really good. It was something that was enjoyable. But among the wicked, they said that it had a very bland taste, like just a plain cracker, and they kind of despised it. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's like the manna was testing the people. And that the manna would even fall close to the righteous, but the wicked had to go search it out. So it was harder on the wicked. What I'm trying to get at is, we want the glory in our lives. And man, I do. I want the glory in my home. One of the greatest things you can do to bring the glory in your home is to cleanse your home, but bring that communion table into your home and bring the blood of the lamb into your home and begin to pray the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your home and over your property. And and that you bring that family, take communion together as a family, bring that family under the blood. And where that blood is, where that blood is honored and that blood is applied, that's where the glory of the Lord will begin to come in. It's a pattern. God brought the blood from the outer court and to the basically symbolically to the table of showbread, then from the table of showbread into the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat. And the blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat, and that's where the glory came. Another thing that will bring the glory of the Lord 
is, like I mentioned earlier, speaking blessings. So listen, as we talk about this tonight, in a very practical sense, I'm just going to kind of share from my heart now, but this is something I'm really comfortable with. Because the glory is something that I've been praying about for many, many years and have studied this out. It's something that I feel I understand uh, at least some about it. And the glory is in our church, the glory is in our home as far as my wife are concerned. And some of the things that you need to understand about the glory, as you begin to take communion as a family and you begin to honor that, God will allow some things to start coming up And he'll test you so that those things can be purged out. But the more you do that, the more the glory will increase. And not only that, but as you begin to speak blessings, the very things that you speak will begin to materialize in the life of your family. I tell people, you know, about your children. I would speak a blessing over my children as they're growing up every night. Because as you speak a blessing over them, and you speak a blessing, maybe you have a family, um, you know, once a week, maybe you have a family Sabbath, you spend time together, you speak a blessing over them. The blessings that you speak will help to fashion who they are and help to put their feet on the path that God has for them. But if you don't bless them, then the enemy may try to take advantage of that. But if you bless them, it will help fashion who they are And help guide them into their destiny in God. And as you go through your home and maybe anoint different rooms. And you speak blessings over those rooms. The very things that you speak. You need to keep doing this. But the very things that you speak will begin to materialize in those rooms. As you go through your home. I'll give you just one example. As I I spoke blessings to our home. You know we started just basically as a little cell group there. And all we have, all, all I ever wanted to do at the time was just worship, prayer, and evangelize and things like that. But if we go through, I speak a blessing. One of the things I spoke was that from that place, that somehow, that the word of the Lord will go out to the nations. And I remember, I'll never forget that you know this lady by the name of Michelle Wilson contacts my wife and I and wants my wife to give her testimony, and she wants to do it in my living room. And from that living room, the gospel went to the nations. It's, it's literally echoed around the world. The very thing that I spoke, not having a clue what I was saying, I mean, I was just walking through there with my hand up just speaking that. But God honored it. And I'm going to tell you, some of the very things I've spoke walking through this church and speaking blessings, some of those very things have materialized. God, if we'll speak blessings and we'll stop speaking negative but speak blessings, God, those very things will materialize in our home. So speak blessings in your home of being a place of health, being a place of prosperity, being a place of sweet rest in the glory, being a place of rich, powerful prayer lives, being a place where there's order and there's unity in relationships. And keep doing it. I don't mean just once. I mean, it's like this is a daily thing. You know, my prayer life, I lift up my hands and speak a blessing over my home every day. And I speak a blessing when I get in my vehicle. That God, I really do, because there's a lot of things that can happen in a vehicle. And I speak a blessing that the Lord send his angels in front and clear the way. And that they'll be around and take us safely where we go. And there'll be peace and glory in the vehicle. And that's exactly what happens. God honors what you speak. All right. Oh. 
But as you do this, and this is kind of what I'm start winding this down, but that's on a more of a positive note, but on let me just kind of bring this up as well. You need to be selective and careful. Like in my home, I'm not going to allow family or friends to come in that aren't married that are going to be sharing a bedroom and having sex in my house. I'm not going to do it. Because that's a place where God's glory is. And I know that would grieve the Holy Spirit. They may get mad, but they're just going to have to get a hotel. It's just... Like I said last week or the week before, I'll still sleep good. My head will hit my pillow. I'll be fine if they're mad at me. It's not that big a deal. care more about the Lord's presence in my home. And I'm not going to allow things as far as addictive things like uh, tobacco and, and you know um, alcohol, drugs, things like that are not going to be in the home. That's going to be kept out. Let me tell you, too, you know, as the years were, as Brianna was growing up, and the, you know, the years of being in that, the teenage years and all that, we wouldn't allow things, I wouldn't allow things if there was maybe like posters or something that I didn't feel comfortable with, if there was music that was ungodly or there was different things like that. It was like, we can't have this because the glory, we want the glory here. And God's glory isn't going to be here. Now listen, you understand, just be selective. But if somebody is, for example, watching something where people are, are having sex and it's causing lust to begin to arise in the people that's watching it okay just follow me they're watching this they don't turn it off lust is beginning to arise what they don't realize is it's defiling them but it's defiling their home and as that's permitted it's beginning to release that into the atmosphere where the home is now becoming more of a lustful place And if people aren't careful over time, I'm not saying this will necessarily happen right then and there. I don't know. But there can even be spirits of lust that begin to traffic there. When people maybe watch um, over-the-top grotesque things that are violent or really fearful, like these slasher movies, you know, and they're sitting there watching that, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be mean or critical or anything. Just as a Christian, I, I can't, I couldn't, you know. I'm going to be like, grossing me out. But as you're watching people get ripped to shreds and all the things that go on and the fear and the terror, they don't understand that the atmosphere there of that fear and that, that weird, violent type thing is beginning to permeate the atmosphere. And if they keep on with that and they keep on watching that and they begin to develop an appetite for that in themselves, they're defiling themselves, they're defiling that home, and pretty soon there can be spirits that are associated with those type of things that are trafficking through that home. Another thing that's very dangerous, you have to be careful, is in the realm of the occult. You know, somebody is, well, I'm a Christian, but yet, you know, they're watching stuff that is blatant witchcraft and spellcasting, occult practices and all of that, and they don't realize it. But there may be something in them that they're being defiled and their home is now being defiled by witchcraft. And again, if they're not careful and they don't put that out and pray over their home, there can be occult-type spirits that begin trafficking through that home. And I remember one time there was somebody who told me about a, a TV show I should check out, stupid reality TV. Give me a break. There's nothing real about you know what I'm saying? But they were saying about how they would, they would switch up families and all that. 
And so they were, it was, it was just on the show. And so I remember watching a little bit of it, but these people were really, truly fighting. I mean, it wasn't acting. I mean, they were like in a rage fighting with each other. And I remember the Holy Spirit began to put on my heart that as these people are fighting, do you really want people continually fighting in your home like that? Just griping at you, yelling and screaming. I mean, you know, like really fighting. Because see, that can start an atmosphere of strife. And I really didn't think about it at the time until the Lord spoke to me. I was like, you know, that's true. And so that was gone. But it's like, you've got to think about what, what is communicating. And what is being tolerated. And ask the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about through fear. A lot of people, they, they don't have true discernment. They operate out of a counterfeit discernment that is based on fear. And it's based on their own human reasoning, and it's not the Spirit of God. And if you, if you have peace, that you know the Holy Spirit, you have a relationship with Him, and you're in a communion with Him, you say, Holy Spirit, just lead me about this. There's a peace and a rest in that. Okay, There's no fear. And God will guide you, and you'll know. The baby Christians that haven't developed in that yet, they don't know. But you need to be careful. You just need to be selective. Use some common sense. You know, people, uh, we have one of those television filters that block the profanity and things like that. But there's some people that they'll, they'll say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, go to church. But man, I mean, the stuff they're watching is just, I mean, GD this, MF this, F word, blah, blah, blah. Just, told, just on and on and on and on, cussing. And they don't realize that it, when they don't put that out and they just keep that going, that's releasing out into the atmosphere. And trust me, that will affect the atmosphere. Some people think, oh, it won't either. Yeah, it will. The Bible says don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And in context, in context, that it grieves the Holy Spirit. As they don't realize it, but that language that's just being permitted to keep going and going and going is grieving the Spirit of God. And so every night before I go to bed, I always pray over our home. And personally, I take the Lord's Supper and I, I take... I've shared this, but I'll take some of the juice. I have a place, as I stand on my porch, just pour that out and say, Lord, I bring the blood over this whole property. Anything on this property that's maybe slipped through the cracks, I command that to get off this property. Lord, that you cleanse and wash it. And every time I do that, I feel the glory start increasing right there. And then I command, and my wife and I, um, you know, something God led us to do, not that people have to do this, but I felt very strongly led to do this. But we began to agree together and we'll, you know, do like a shofar blast or something. But we come together and pray But we go to bed and the glory of the Lord just begins to arise up in that home and intensify really strong. So, anyway, this is a real practical thing. But how many of you guys would say, look, Pastor Scott, I want God's presence. How many, how many would like if you could feel what you feel here tonight during worship, you could feel that in your home? And not just every once in a while, but it seems to always be there. How many would like to be able to go to sleep at night and you feel that presence of the Lord on, on you as you sleep? I'm telling you that you can. You just simply need to pray over your home and get things right there. But also, I'm telling you the communion table and the blessings. You need to be real deliberate about speaking blessings. If you'll be deliberate about it and keep doing it, it will bring an atmosphere shift in your home big time. And the last thing I would just say is guard about making sure things are in order and unified. 
you know, if there's any type of strife or fighting. See, what happens is a lot of people don't realize this, but their home, maybe because there's been sin that's been allowed in, or because of all the fighting and the strife or the things being out of order, whatever, that pretty soon the atmosphere of that home becomes so oppressed. Are y'all hearing me? Becomes so sterile, so spiritually dead, that pretty soon you're having a hard time going to sleep at night. You're not sleeping good. You toss and turn. Pretty soon you get up the next morning to pray and you feel like it's a brass heaven, you can hardly pray. Y'all hear me? This affects, it can affect your health. Because when you're in an atmosphere of strife and tension and things like that, it affects your health. It can affect your immune system, can affect the way your food digests. Seriously, it can. Your body's affected, your mind's affected. And it's, it seems to be an atmosphere where it's really easy to fight any moment, but it's very difficult to pray. And that's like an oppressed home. There's a heaviness there. And you have to be careful because you need to get your home sealed off. And let me tell you why. If there's big gaping holes in the spirit realm around your home because you haven't dealt with stuff, okay, it's not totally sealed off. There's big gaping holes in the hedge. And you go to start doing stuff for God, and the enemy gets ticked off at you and says, we're going to put a stop to that right now. Don't you think they're going to see those big holes? And they're going to come right through those things. And pretty soon, you wake up the next day and there's something going on in your home. And you're like, what's the deal? But there's no difference, in my opinion. I mean, ask my wife. There's no difference in the atmosphere here at this church or the way things are here as there is in our home that I can tell. Because God has to do it really first. He needs to do it in the home and see, can I trust these people in their own personal lives before I'm going to trust their ministry? So what I'm trying to get at is this. God wants us to live our lives that we are understanding that we're living tabernacles. We're only passing through this life for a time our lives need to be more about the things of heaven, more about what's important to God than about what's important to us necessarily. And we need our homes to be a dwelling place for God. We need to be able to be in our homes. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of worship. It's a place of the peace and the presence of the Lord. It's easy to pray. And that's what God's looking for. But we're going to have to have some different mentalities. And here's, here's what I want to close with is this, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. He's talking about your body. And we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, and eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We're looking one day to shed off this old body and put on the glorified body. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, this physical body that is going to die one day, we groan, being burdened, because we do not 
um, we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. But that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. One day we're going to die. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose in God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Meaning this, as we're going through this life, we're reminded that our bodies are unfortunately still under that curse from Adam and Eve that they're going to die. They're going to age and die. But we have this promise that when we shed off this earthly tent right now that we're, we have this body, that one day the Lord is going to give us a glorified body. And that glorified body is not going to have any sin. It won't age. It's going to be what similar to the way things were in the Garden of Eden, but better because it is a glorified body in Christ. And Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who glory in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Everybody say that, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to come who will transform the body of our humble state, this sinful flesh that we're clothed in, with the body of His glory. We'll be given glorified bodies by the exertion of His power that He may even subject all things to Himself. So, what I'm trying to get at is, how many of you guys realize we're just passing through? I mean, if you ever have an experience where you don't know that you're going to live or die, you start thinking about eternity, and you start realizing how short this life is and what actually really matters, really. What's going to matter, really, in eternity? What if I stood before Jesus tonight? Have I lived in a way that is going to be conducive to good, well done, good and faithful servant? You've bore so much fruit for me. Your life brought me glory. Or am I just living for myself? Is my life, am I a walking tabernacle of the Holy Spirit? Like Enoch, that I walk with God. I get up and I spend time with Him. My home is a place of His presence. And I live my life to glorify the Lord. Am I really living that way? Is, so what I'm trying to get at is, is that our lives can be a dwelling place for the Lord. But we have to want it. And you have to pursue it. It will not just happen on its own. It's something you're going to have to pursue. I feel as I'm going through this tonight that it's, it's not really completely hitting where it needs to yet. But I hope that by the end of this series it will. Because a lot of people hear these things and it just goes in one ear and out the other. It really never takes root. And I'm hoping that, that as I preach this as a pastor, that people will say, Pastor Scott, I'm going to be the exception to the norm and I'm really going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to start making some changes. I'm going to start seeking a prayer life. I'm going to start trying to get my home to be a place where God's glory is. I'm going to start thinking about eternity. What if I die tonight, tomorrow? What am I going to do today? You know, I mean, it's like a different mentality. So the seed is sown. You know, God showed me this one time. Um, I shared this with my wife. 
I was just kind of discouraged in ministry, and I was asking the Lord to, to share something with me. And he told me to look up the scripture. I don't remember now what it was, but it was a specific verse, chapter verse, that verse. And I looked it up, and it was this, the parable of the seed and the sower. And it was the verse that said that the sower cast the seed out. Some of it produced 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And what God told me was, he said, you're being faithful to sow the seed. It's not your responsibility that some people only allow it to take 30 in their life. Other people allow 60 fold in theirs and a few allow 100, but that's not your fault. You're still sowing the seed. So what I'm saying is, is be one of those that says, I want this to really bear a hundredfold fruit in my life. 